Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Well, if you have not received a copy of the outline, you're going to need it. It will probably take two weeks. I, I didn't want to rush this this morning. Um, it's clear to me that uh, God wants to deliver this message. We had an hour and a half of prayer on Wednesday morning, and it was the central theme was the fire of God that's falling. This, so I've been praying into that, hearing a lot of things on, online as well. And before Richard Thornton even looked at the outline this morning, he walked up to me in the foyer and he goes, if we'll provide the sacrifice, God will provide the fire. I said, did you read my sermon title? He goes, no. <laughs> so we're right on track and right on target what God is doing. And, and so you're going to need your outline. To, you might want to turn over, take some notes. But I want to kind of start this morning. God, we give you thanks. We thank you for your presence was so powerful this morning. And when four people surrender, I mean, what is that, God? I, I just thank you, Lord. We, we want to go deeper, the worship to be true. We want it to be spirit and truth, the true worshipers. So come this morning and reveal truth through your word in Jesus' name. So the title of the message, uh, The Fire of God Falls on the sacrifice. I want to ask you a question. How's your sacrifice doing? How's your sacrifice? Another way to ask it would be, how's your fire of God doing? How's the God fire? How are you tending the fire of God in you? Are you a fire tender? You know, if you don't put a couple logs on the fire when it starts to burn down, right? <laughs> it goes out. And so there's something about tending to the fire. I want to take probably the next two Sundays, this Sunday and next, and I want to unpack this thing in such a way that we, uh, we have a revelation, both of our responsibility as well as what God said he would do. There are two main purposes. As I study Scripture, there are two main purposes. I've really listed that in the outline there. Um, where it says, this is an interesting statement Jesus made first in Luke 12, 49. You see that just below the title? Jesus said, quote, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. Now, that is just an interesting, I, my head can't wrap around that. I don't have a full understanding, but I do know from Scripture, if you look at it, there's really two, and I've listed them there. In the Scripture, the fire of God reveals the reality of God for two main purposes. The first one, we love it. It's His presence, His power, and His revealed glory. You could see that this morning. I don't, if, if you're born again and you have the fire burning in you in worship, it's like, how can, I've had people come say, why do you worship so long? Why, why is it so loud? And they say, I, you know, I come late because I don't, I, I don't understand it, but and I'm not trying to be condemning, but it, it's really, the worship is not for you. Well, hello, right? It's really for him. And we've come to offer the sacrifice. Oh, I don't really feel like it. You just need to get over that. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> it's really for him, and we offer that sacrifice of praise. And so it's really to reveal his glory. But there's a second part, to bring judgment against rebellion and sin. And we're going to unpack both of those. There's tons of Scripture if you want to look at it, but I'm just going to un unpack a few. So let me, let me start by 
saying, there's a difference between facts and truth. You tracking with me? There's a difference. There are facts that are not true. They try to reveal or deceive. And so facts that happen can distort what we see so that we might sometimes believe what is not true. Let me give you an example here, a couple. I'll give you a spiritual one from the Scriptures and then a, a practical one from the mission field. When Jesus in Luke 4, in verse 5, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, Baptist and he's led into the wilderness and he's then tempted by the devil. He fasts for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil. One of the temptations, he takes Jesus, the devil takes Jesus up on a high pinnacle and he shows him in an instant of time all the kingdoms and all the glory. And he says this to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the power and the glory that's associated with these kingdoms. That was a fact. Jesus didn't dispute the fact that when our great, 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 great grandparents messed it up and the keys were given over because of their rebellion, Adam and Eve's rebellion, Satan got the keys to the kingdoms. That was a fact. And so Jesus didn't dispute the fact that, yes, you have the power and authority of these kingdoms, but the truth is what Jesus quotes to him. You will only worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. Right? That's the truth. And so... You, we can have facts occurring, but the fact is that He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me give you an example of a, a prayer ministry. You know, we, we, we love to see the Lord unpack all of our baggage, and He does that in prayer ministry, which we offer. It is factual that a woman that I did ministry in, the, in, the, in another country on, she had been abandoned by her biological father. That was a fact. At three years old, her stepfather began abusing her and abused her well into her teenage years. That was a fact. At 13, she ran away. That was a fact. Joined a gang, became part of that, got involved in drugs, became a prostitute. That was a fact. Became a drug addict. That was a fact. She was beaten unconscious by her fourth husband to the point who said, I'm Satan and I'm going to kill you. She woke up in ICU in a complete coma and... Those were facts. Then she comes to the church, and she gets saved. And in that process, she's tormented for years because her belief system was that I'm so unclean and I'm so ashamed God could never love me. The facts to her were not true about what God said about her. In prayer ministry, as we were ministering, and she shared that she was so ashamed and so filled with guilt that how could God ever love her? I shared with her the story out of Luke 7, 36 of the immoral woman who had been involved in much sin. And she comes and she cries at Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. The religious guard there says, you know, if Jesus was so, such a real prophet, he would know that this unclean woman is handling him. Jesus reads their mind, calls them out on it, and says, this woman's sins are many. Let me ask you a question, Pharisees. If, I, if someone owed a debt of $500,000 and another owed a debt of $50,000, neither one of them could pay, but Jesus forgives both of their debts, who do you think loves him more? Pharisee turns and says, well, I, I guess the one that had much debt forgiven. He says, you've answered correctly. 
This woman, her sins are many, but she will love me more. And with that, he turns to her and he says, woman, your sins are forgiven. When I told that story, the facts of that particular woman's life broke. And she cried. And that demon went out with screams. And it was a glorious moment. Because the truth will set you free. Right? And so, it's a fact. Things happen to us. Things are a fact. But the truth is what we're after. Now, let me shift. How do you measure the fire of God? How, how do you do that? Like, what, was there a limit to it? Well, let me give you some facts. And I'm going to shift on this. America is the richest nation on the face of the earth. And it has been reported that more people have experienced this wealth than any other time at any place in any time in history. Now, I don't know about you, but we're, we're doing pretty well, right? Right? And so, how is it that if America, which is the richest country enjoyed by more people, it is a fact that drug addiction is the highest it's ever been? It is a fact that the suicide rate is higher than it's ever been. The divorce rate is the highest that it's ever been. Church attendance is down 70% since 1999. These are Barner statistics. You can look them up. One out of four Americans now says they have absolutely no faith. One out of four. That's the worst statistic ever reported. The percentage of giving to the church is the lowest it's ever been. In fact, some interesting statistics I have here. I looked up some articles about the deceitfulness of riches. Five diagnoses questions to be asked of ourselves, which I've asked of myself. And then a statistic about church and religious charitable giving. These are some ugly statistics. Do you know that during the Great Depression, Christians, not those, those who profess to be Christians, gave 3.3% of their gross income during the Great Depression. Today, those who profess to be Christians only give 2.5% of their income. Only one out of four. Now, I'm going to mess with you. It's not my intention to mess with you, but I'm going to mess with you because he just told me to mess with you. When I start to talk about tithing, those who tithe say amen. Those who do not, they get annoyed. They either get convicted or they get annoyed. Oh, they only talk about money because they don't want, I don't want your money. I don't need your money, okay? But there is a test of the fire of God that's in your heart that'll be measured by what you do with your time and what you do with your money. Only one out of four professing Christians who attend church, that's a smaller number, Only one out of four of them tithe, 10%. Tithe is 10%. Okay? That means that one out of four of you are tithing. The charitable giving is people who make more than $75,000 a year, only 1% of them tithe. That means people who don't make $75,000 make up the larger difference. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said in Matthew 23, 23, and in Luke eleven forty two, 42, when the Pharisee says, you're so careful, you Pharisees, to tithe every dill and cumin, all, you, everything that you, you, you like measured out, 
but you forget the more important things of love and honor and goodness. Now, why did Jesus tell them, you should tithe, yes? Now, I've had those who say, well, that's Old Testament law. So it was okay and good in the Old Testament, but it's not in the New Testament. I'm just saying. Now, I was sitting where some of you were sitting. I figured this out. 45 years ago, I got saved. You know my testimony. I came in by the two-by-four on the side of the head method, right? Where this little girl was sick and God, anyway, I'm not going to go there. I was sitting in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, and my pastor was preaching on tithing. This is about 40 years plus ago. And I got convicted. See, I used to tip God. They would pass the plate there, and I would say, oh, I got five bucks here. So I would pray that he would protect my family, give me food and blessing, give me my job and do that. And then I would give him like the big bellhop in the sky. I'd give him a five-buck tip for carrying my bags for me. And I heard a sermon on this because the Christian Missionary Alliance Church believes in tithing and offering. And I listened. I got convicted. I started studying the Scripture. My wife and I said, they can't possibly mean the gross income. Can't possibly mean that, right? Because got, you got your bills, you got your, your IRS, you got your state. They can't mean that, right? Well, we studied that more and said, no, that's what they mean. So we started tithing on the net first and then on the gross. And for 40 years, we tithed and give offerings in, in excess of 10%. And so God has always been able to minister in the midst of all of our needs and I'm not saying that to be self-righteous. I'm just saying it, that if you're not a tither and a giver, you need to find out in your heart why not. Study these scriptures because I'm going to give you enough scripture that one day you will stand before him and part of the reward system will be where was your treasure. Okay? All right. I know it's gotten real quiet in here. Back, to, back over here. Let's... In Deuteronomy 31, again, we're still not on the outline yet. We're getting there. Deuteronomy 31 in verse 20, there was a warning. He says, when you are brought into the land of milk and honey, he's now speaking to Israel, when you eat your fill and you thrive, don't forget your God. Don't turn away and reject me and break my covenant. Now, unfortunately, you know the history. If you've studied this, it's like, they, they get blessed, and they forget God, and they crash and burn. They open up idols. They get down, and they repent, and, they, and this is the cycle, and it's, so it is in the human experience, unfortunately. So let's, let's turn to Luke 12. In Luke chapter 12, and let's pick up in... Verse 13, Jesus warns in Luke 12 about the hypocrisy of those who claim to be followers of Christ, and he calls them out on the hypocrisy. And then there's thousands following him, and in the crowd one morning in verse 13, Luke 12, 13, someone called out from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that. Then he gives a parable, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Every kind of greed. 
Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Then he told this story. A rich man had a farm, a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough room for my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and then I'll have enough to store wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take easy, eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night, and then who will get everything that you worked for? Verse 21, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. God's not opposed to wealth. In fact, Abraham was wealthy, David, right? He's not opposed to that. But if it, if it owns you as opposed to you owning it, what he's after there in verse 20, King James says it this way, so is, is he that lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Turn to the left and let's go to Mark 4 for a moment. This is a familiar scripture on the seed. But I want to make this point because I believe one of the things that hinders the fire and the fall of God is where our hearts are. And so, in that parable, it's in, it's in all of the Gospels, but in this parable, it talks about the seed and it's in the Word, and the farmer puts the seed in the ground, right? And Satan comes, this is in Mark 4, and verse 13. He warns in, yeah, Mark 4, 13, he warns the farmer plants in verse 14, the seed is God's Word, and it fell on the footpath, Satan came, but pick up on verse 18. One of the ways that the devil works is the seed falls among the thorns, and the thorn represents those who hear the word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no, food is, no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept the word and produced a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100-fold. So I want you to see that one of the ways the devil deceives, it's a fact, people pursue things, and, and things are, we, we, we can enjoy those things, I'm not, but when it's owning you to the point where that's what you worry about, and the lure of that wealth is what is controlling you, then you've got a problem, and I don't think the fire can fall on a group of people that are consumed by greed or the focus of other things. So, Revelation 3, I read that during the communion. The church at Laodicea, they thought they were all that. They were wealthy. They had everything, but he said, no, you're really lukewarm. I don't really understand why he would say, I wish you were either hot or cold. I don't know why he'd want you to be cold. But the lukewarm folks, though, that, that is the one who says that really it makes him sick. He gets sickened by that. I, it's an interesting scripture. He says, buy gold from me that has been tried in the fire. So how do you buy God gold tried in the fire? Well, maybe there's an answer in Matthew 6. Let's turn there. In Matthew chapter 6,
Let's, um, that whole scripture of Matthew is, teaches about giving to the needy, teaches on prayer and fasting, and then it teaches about money and possessions. So Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasure here on earth. Does that, does that mean I can't have a 401k? Or the, no. But he, he really goes on, he says, wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure will be also. He goes, don't store it up here on earth where the moths can eat it and destroy it, where the thieves can steal it. Store treasure, store your treasure in heaven, free from the moth and the destruction. The thieves can't steal it. Verse 21, I think, is the real question or the real emphasis. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be also. Your eye, now here's your focus. This is a question about your eye and focus, and I think it's an indication of where the fire of God is. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light, but when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. You're going to either hate one or love the other. If you are devoted to that one and despise the other, you can't serve both God and money. King James says you can't serve both God and mammon. Mammon was a Philistine god. It was actually a demon god, and it was about the worship of wealth. And so he was saying, look, you can't worship wealth and have God also. It's just not possible. You're going to have a divided heart, right? And so he tells us in Matthew 16, how are you going to measure or how am I going to measure how much fire I have? How do you measure them? Well, here's a couple of things maybe. Your enthusiasm. Again, I'm not trying to be uh, condemning, but if worship is going on and it's like not doing anything inside of you, the worship of God is really moving, it's amazing. You can have one person sitting next to you. That person is like, oh, my Lord God. And the other is like thinking of the roast they're going to have later in the afternoon. Now, what is that about? I mean, if the presence of God is here and I can't connect, it's not on his end. There's either something that has blocked, it could be sin. We know it, the scriptures talk of an iron heaven, that if you have stuff going on in your life, it'll block not only your prayers, but there is an anointing. You will miss the anointing. If you've got secret sin going on, there's a block because it talks about the love of God. <laughs> if you've got other lovers in your life, guess what? You can't be singly focused on the lover, right? So we need to ask ourselves, if I'm not on fire, why am I not on fire? If I can't feel the presence, why can't I feel the presence? It's not condemning. It's more of a he wants you to buy gold from the one. He says, I, I don't want you to be cold. I, I, I want you to be hot, right? And so how do you measure it? Well, maybe some of the things. How much time do you spend in prayer? Spartanist statistics says, born again, spirit-filled Christians spend less than four minutes a day in prayer. Huh? Wow. How much time do you spend in the Word? Does the Word excite you? Or does Netflix? How's your attitude towards attendance? My wife and I, we got it convicted. That we read, my mom got us this thing. Jesus, is it Jesus in the morning? 
Jesus in the morning, and one of them was, um, I think it was actually today, they were, the family was making fun of her. She would attend church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday. And they said, you go to church too much. And they said, well, I love being at church. I love being with the people of God. It's not a burden for me. And I'm not saying that, you know, we take attendance, but if you don't get excited, you know, the golf course and the boat seems more exciting to you than being with God on Sunday morning or working. Maybe you got to work. Again, I'm not trying to be overly critical, but we need to ask the question, where is your treasure? Okay? And so it's not a ten, it's none of these things as far as check marks, but your attitude in attendance. How do you serve? How, how do you do you serve yourself or are you serving others? Where's your money spent? Where's it go? We're doing our taxes right now, right? Some of you have already had them done. When you look at your taxes, where is it, where's it being spent? Because one day you're going to stand before him. There's going to be a book that's open. There's the book of life and there's the book of works, right? Daniel speaks of this. Revelation speaks of it. And at that point, let me give you a scripture so that you don't look at me so happy. Um, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. I know I'm messing, but God's already messed with me, so I've got, I'm, I'm doing some things different as well. 1 Corinthians 3. Let's look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 3.12. He tell, talks to the church at Corinth that had a lot of issues. That was a church that had the most issues. Right? And he says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 3.12, anyone who builds on a foundation and uses a variety of materials, gold, silver, and jewels, wood, hay, or straw. On judgment day, this is a but on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show a person's work and its value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up and the builder will suffer great loss, the builder will be saved. So he's talking to Christians. The builder will be saved, if you're born again, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of the flames, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are his temple. So I want you to think about everything that you've ever done. And on judgment day, you will stand personally before him. It is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. But it says at that point, you will stand before him and the blowtorch comes out. And all your stuff that's been piled up, riches, that which you gave, and he's going to put the torch to it. And if it is the gold that was refined by his fire, it stands there as your reward. But if it was all done about you and self-centered, and yes. then that stuff's just a bunch of hay. It's going to burn up. Amen. So he doesn't say you're going to go to hell because <laughs> he's speaking to Christians there. But he's warning us, take a look at what you're doing with your treasure. You look so happy. I can't. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. We're going to land it here, and um, we'll pick up. Next week, I promise you, it'll be good. It'll be the fire of sacrifice. <laughs> I needed to get part. I, maybe you'll come back next week. And so, because we'll take attendance next. No, I'm just kidding. And, uh, and so, 
next week we're going to look at what happens when a person really lays down that sacrifice. What does God do with it? And you'll see in both uh, Chronicles and in Kings what God did with the people who really repented and pursued him and the fire of God. So when we look at what Brian drew over here where the fire of God is like <laughs> burning, it looks like, wow, that's like 1 Kings 18 with Elijah and the prophets of Baal and... and uh, so let's stand, and I want to just ask God if he would speak to you. You're not condemned, right? Right? No condemnation. I heard yes from the people who tithe. <laughs> Look, I, the, the tithes and offerings are, are really unto him. What Papa Bill Johnson says to us, he goes, the tithe is really God's little tax for the fact that you breathe his air and you drink his water. It's his. Read Malachi. We'll look at it next week maybe a little bit. Malachi says it's his. If you're wondering maybe why sometimes things are cursed, take a look at Malachi chapter 3. So I just am asking you to search your heart. Go into scriptures. Look at these, but look at others, and start this year saying, God, what do you say? It's not what Pastor Tom, what do you say about this, right? Ten cents on every dollar belongs to him. And if you take his money, Malachi says, you're under a God curse. I, I don't want you to be, I want you all to be blessed. I really do. And I want the fire of God. We toil for the fire of God to come. One of the measures of that is how sold out are our hearts. One is through your, your heart and desire, but it's those things that are factual that will either block or encourage the presence of God. And I'm just delivering this message because I know that's where he wants us to go. So, Lord, I pray now, Father, that you would release not condemnation because those who are in Christ Jesus, we celebrate the four that came forward this morning that gave their lives or rededicated or promised a new walk with you. God, I ask that no way could the enemy steal that. Those who are listening by live streaming, God, I thank you that your word is active Hebrews 4.12, it's active and it's alive and it's able to cut between the soulish realm and the spirit. God, I ask that you would do that. The spirit, those who worship him, must worship him in the spirit and in truth. So, Lord, I thank you. I pray your blessing over each family member here, all those that are here listening by live stream as well. God, I thank you that you're faithful. You're faithful, God. Lord, we lift up the activities of this week, the women's pursuit, men's group tomorrow night at 7. We had 19 men last week, and it was a powerful move of God. God, I thank you. There's some sitting here today that came to that meeting and felt the love of God. God, I thank you. Thank you what you're doing. Wednesday night, the study in Hebrews, the presence of God, the, the reflection of Old Testament into the New the new covenant promise that Jesus, the high priest, God, what you're doing in the nations. I pray for this nation. Bring a healing to our nation, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. God bless you. Ministry team, if you'll come, if there's anyone here that needs prayer this morning that hasn't received it, we'd love to pray for you.